This is Don't Panic, episode number three, recorded July 2nd, 2013, on Windows, Workouts, and Wild Firefoxes. Good evening and welcome. This is another episode of Don't Panic on Gadgets, the Internet, and you, the podcast, to make your life just that much better. Uh, I'm Sean Jennings. I'm Colby Ravenue. I'm Dan Miller. And on today's show, we're going to cover a wide breadth of topics, our main one being Microsoft and uh, the ever-increasing behemoth that is Windows uh, and all that encompasses. But we have a lot of other great stories, and we're glad you're here with us today. Uh, just as a reminder for all of our live viewers, we record this every Tuesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern, uh, and you can interact with the three of us on uh, Facebook as the show goes on, and we'll keep tabs on that. So if you have any feedback during the show, please give it to us. Um, with that being said, uh, why don't we kick into our first story, and I think this works really well because last week's show we focused heavily on uh, gaming and consoles and video games. So uh, this is a story from uh, The Verge, uh, the gadget blog, and this one is about uh, Microsoft teases Windows 8 apps on Xbox One, says devs get a head start by building now. And the main... Uh, purpose of this article, it says that uh, at their build conference that Microsoft held this week, it's their big yearly developer-based uh, conference, um, we expected, and we even teased a little bit last week, that they would talk about the development for Xbox One. Well, they didn't. They actually kept relatively silent. But one thing they did say was that um, that there's going to be a common core between Windows 8 and Xbox One, because the Xbox One is in some way running Windows 8. And here's a quote um, from Steve Guggenheimer, the vice president of developer and platform evangelism, who Is that said, his "Real name, Sorry. Steve Guggenheimer." <laughs> call him the Goog. Everyone's favorite. Uh, if you want to know about how to get a head start about thinking about developing for Xbox One, the logical thing to do is go build Windows 8 applications. Meaning that start on Windows 8, and the assumption is that it would be easy to port to Xbox One. Um, Colby, I'll throw this to you. Do you think it's a bigger deal to get developers on Xbox One, or is it a bigger deal to get games and software built for Windows 8? Um, or you can just I talk mean, about it in general. You don't have to answer my you question. You know, honestly, I would think Windows 8 would be a bigger priority at this point, particularly for, like, the, the Metro apps. And, like, I feel like that's what, you know, they... They want to kind of build up like a rich ecosystem of of apps and stuff, and maybe like maybe saying like, "Oh, hey, look, like you can build your app for Windows 8, and it'll be real easy to get it on the Xbox too." Like maybe that's kind of a little encouraging, but I, I can't like at the same time though, I can't really imagine that like people would be starting building apps like I can't imagine that someone would decide to build a Metro app because now it'll work on the Xbox and not just Windows but I don't know I mean it. I guess maybe it's good and maybe it's just, just practical like so, so they unified it so now like the Windows the Metro Windows Metro apps will just work on the Xbox like that's that's not bad yeah I think there's but I think you're underestimating the similarity between Microsoft at least wanted to do tablets. Like, it's 
kind of clear that they that at least part of Microsoft's many-brained, many-celled organism doesn't want to make traditional desktop applications anymore. Yeah. And so, and the TV is a lot like a tablet, except you can't touch it. But with Kinect, you kind of can. So, if if you are actually serious about developing Windows 8 tablet applications, then it's pretty awesome that you can then just pretty much throw it on a TV and probably call it a day. Uh, yeah, but I did I did read this isn't like write once, run everywhere. So it's not like you write your Windows 8 app and it's like, oh, I'll check the Xbox One button on the Windows Store. It's not. It's just similar. They, apparently they showed, like, some code, and maybe this was that one of those NDA, uh, like, don't, don't talk about this in public things, but they showed some code, and it had, like, the System 64 or whatever it is kernel path, and they're like, hey, does that look familiar for Xbox One? So it'll be cool. Like, I would never develop an Xbox One application, but the likelihood of me developing a Windows 8 application is much greater, so if I could... It, it would... It, Lowers the barrier of entry, and I think yeah. you know PCs are going to become less important, and this thing's going to be around for ten years. Well, I I think it's a really important dream. You know, the whole thing when they push to eight, um, you know, Windows Phone eight, Windows eight, Windows eight RT, Xbox One. The idea is that these all run on generally the same kernel, and as you said, you don't just snap your fingers and have apps for everything. But mm. I think that's a we talked a lot last week about these consoles and what differentiates each one, and I, I think that actually is a strength, at least for developers, because a lot of people said PS4 went really strongly after indie developers, but I think when a company like Microsoft, assuming this happens and it works, again, this is really early and we don't know that much, if they can go to developers and say, hey, you know, you're writing these fantastic, amazing games, what if they would work on Xbox One and the millions upon millions of Windows 8 machines and the thousands of Windows phones, I don't know how many of those they've sold, uh, and, you know, <laughs> I think, I think it's, a, it's a huge value add to get people developing, specifically developing for their ecosystem, and I think at the point Microsoft is at in trying to get these Metro apps built, which I know has been a bit of a struggle, um, I think that's really going to keep pushing this momentum for them. Uh, a good segue is the Windows Store apparently also got really... I didn't realize how bad it was, but apparently before it, was, it wasn't it was live tiles. They were like dead, completely static tiles. So if you open up the Windows Store on Windows 8 PC, you just get this grid of icons for all the apps that you could download and no other information and no categorization. I don't think there was search. Now it's like it looks a lot like the Android Store you got categories and what's popular, and you can debate whether that's good or bad for developers, but certainly a much better experience than it was. But I think that the getting, like, the indie games thing isn't about, it's not a technology problem, it's a, how much does it cost? What's the barrier of entry onto the, onto the store? And it's also, like, it would be cool if Microsoft would unify these things, but it's Microsoft. Why is there an Xbox Store and Windows Store? Why is there Xbox Music and whatever, like SkyDrive and all these? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you on that one because everything you just named is there unified. It is Xbox Music across Xbox, Windows 8, Windows Phone, and it is SkyDrive across all of them. So yeah. you know they folded Zune into Xbox Music and they yeah 
Okay. So I'm I'm gonna give them a little credit, and they're they're really trying, and they're definitely not there, but I think that's really that's what Apple has been so good at is having everything so unified, and I think Windows is really trying hard to get there because I think it's what consumers really want. Um, I'm raising my hand because I have something to say. Okay. But like, I I don't think like I don't think anyone's quite succeeded in the fully unifying anything yet. Like, I think Apple's tried pretty hard, and it works pretty great on iPhone and iPad. But then, like, on Mac, there's an app store, but, like, I mean, they're certainly not the same apps. Like, you don't buy an app for iPhone or an iPad and get it on your Mac, too. Like, you get to buy it again, usually. Which well, is Google pain. succeeded pretty well, because they, they don't, don't have, have a desktop. Well, yeah. <laughs> But that's so you get the same fair. Google Music on all your devices and the same Drive files and yeah, yeah. It's all that, called Google. It's not called Xbox Music and then Windows SkyDrive. <laughs> right, and that, like that's a, that's not to say that like it's not like it's like an easy problem and they're just dropping the oh, yeah. ball or something. Right. Like it's really hard. And I would imagine if they could, like any of them, could like you know put a, a reasonable amount of time into it, it would be done already. But um yeah no i think i think like it seems like a good idea cuz i think that is the dream and i i think that's part of the strategy going like going with the metro ui is to like unify everything right so you have your the xbox which is this this that's really where it started kind of or i don't know did it start on xbox or did I think it, it start i think you almost say it started on the zune yeah, yeah. oh yeah Definitely yeah you're zune. right you're right. And then, then the first full was Windows uh, Phone 7. And, and does anyone right. remember the the uh, Microsoft Kin? That yeah. Little, the little phone that wasn't Windows Phone but was made by Microsoft? That also had live oh. tiles. That sounds awesome. <laughs> you can get one for like five bucks on eBay. Nice. Yeah. That could be your next phone, Colby. Maybe. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> uh, well, with that, um, let's... That was a great segue, Dan, uh, into Windows 8.1, um, which is a huge update codenamed Blue that's going to be delivered to Windows 8 and Windows 8 RT devices. Uh, I don't think they've officially set a specific date. It's generally believed to be fall. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of little updates. It's not a huge overhaul, but it does add a lot of missing features. So I was thinking maybe what we could do is... Um, on uh, a great resource is uh, the Windows Supersite, winsupersite.com, which we're using, and it has a great list of all the new features in Windows 8.1. I was thinking maybe we could each pick one and uh, talk about what we think, and I'll volunteer to go first um, while you guys figure out what your pick is. But we'll just each pick the one of the things we find most interesting that they're updating uh, in Windows 8.1, because there's a lot. And I recognize people... What's, go, what's yours, Sean? I was going to go with portrait mode. Okay, I'm going to do SkyDrive then. Okay. I already technically did Windows Store, so... That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, and the reason I chose Portrait Mode is I think it's actually really interesting. One of the things that's new is uh, support for Portrait Mode, um, which is something when you would turn the current Windows A, nothing happens like it does on Android or iPhone or anything like that. Um, what's interesting is in the Windows 8.1, when you turn it, the tiles sort of shrink down to fit the different aspect ratio. Uh, and the reason this is interesting to me is because part portrait mode is actually targeted at the 7 and 8 inch smaller tablet market, 
which is a new area Windows is entering with Windows 8. Now, these are not devices running a scaled-up you know, Windows Phone 8. This is the full version, assuming they have uh, some kind of Intel-based processor, uh, a full version of Windows 8 that's running on these smaller tablets at lower prices. Now, certainly because, you know, if it were an ARM, and RT device, it would run cheaper. Um, but with these new Haswell processors, with um, these smaller devices, I just think it's really interesting that Microsoft is um, discovering that this 7 and 8 inches is, is kind of a sweet spot for tablets a lot of people really like. We see that with the uh, iPad mini, uh, with the Nexus 7, and a lot of other devices that people just really enjoy in that size. And I think it's interesting that the full Windows experience is not only going to that size, but is being optimized for that size. You know what I really don't like? Though, and this is also true of Android tablets, but I don't think 16 by 9 or 16 by 10 is good to hold in your hand. It's okay this way, but when you rotate it, it like magically like takes up more space than you ever wanted, sort of thing. I don't think I think the iP- I don't know what the iPad is, but it's more squat than that. And I think I don't know. I agree. It's good yeah, for the, movies, the iPad's but squarer. Yeah, four it's three. It's good for I movies because it like takes up. It right. fits better, but it's good for movies, but it's bad for literally everything else. Yes. <laughs> like, and and while many people watch movies, I thought I think I think you know Microsoft and Android want tablets to be used for more than just sitting on the airplane and watching movies because you know you get your portable DVD player and that's much cheaper. But I guess it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Colby, what are, what are you thinking? What's your pick? Um, so I've been reading about the the uh, SkyDrive, the new SkyDrive integration stuff, which sounds pretty sweet. Um, Here they've so, got a really great engineer working on that named John Miller too. Like, yeah, I think he's doing a great <laughs> job. Me too. It's it's probably because he because he went to Marist and and yeah. had class with us. Like <laughs> we were all together and it, it, we rubbed off on him clearly. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Remember that time he interned there and had to write JavaScript. Yes. Um. um yeah. So I think I mean I think it's re- it sounds really cool. I just started reading about it a little while ago, but like, um. It basically, like, as far as I can, from what I'm reading, it's now, like, it's kind of just just your SkyDrive content is, like, there as if it's on your hard drive, but it's just not on your hard drive. It's in the cloud, and it doesn't, like, you see it like you would any other file. You see, like, your previews and the icons and stuff, but it's never, it doesn't get uh, synced down locally until you actually try and change it or something, which is awesome. That makes so much sense. Like, my Dropbox is sitting on my my hard drive just taking up space. Like, I rarely touch this stuff in my Dropbox. It doesn't need to be there. Like, I appreciate that it is synced, like, across... Like, it does that well, but it doesn't, like... It doesn't save me any space, which I think it should. And I I don't know... I I never thought of this before today, but it totally should do that, because... Google Drive does that. Oh, does it? I, so I mean, it does it by the fact that it doesn't sync to your desktop by default. You have to, like, opt in per file sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of like that. And this um, makes sense on uh, 
tablets and smaller devices too, which lends to that. Um, they have yeah. much smaller storage space that can't afford these large files. Definitely. Cool. Yeah, that's a, mobile. that's my thought on that though. That's that's good stuff. Good stuff. That John Miller, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and those are among many of the features you will find well, in Windows 8. I, I came up with another new feature. Go for it. There's this great UI innovation that Microsoft has put in Windows 8.1, and that's the uh, the long, teased, and fabled start button. <laughs> or what do they call it? The power user tip? Something like that? <laughs> power user menu? So apparently in an old Windows 8, you could, like, go to the lower left-hand corner, or, like, you go to the left and you pop over that thing, and then if you went to the lower left of that thing and you right-clicked, I don't know how the fuck you would do that with your fingers, but if you were somehow able to do that, you could bring up this thing that kind of resembled the start menu except without any of the useful things and only, like, mobility center and network connections, and you could actually shut it down from there if you... Man, actually, no, you couldn't. I'm looking at the wrong screenshot. Only in Windows 8.1 can you shut it down from that menu. Uh, Let's see. <laughs> I mean, this is also... <clears throat> we've talked about this, I think, every podcast so far, but the uh, uh, Microsoft going in two directions at the same time sort of thing. There's also an boot to desktop mode, which wasn't in regular Windows 8, so you always had to at least start in Metro. So... It'll, I don't know. It definitely doesn't help people write Metro apps, but I don't. I don't think it really matters. <laughs> That's true. Funny. But I mean, then again, I feel like the people that they really want to use Metro are are also not going to be able to go through their settings and find the the boot to desktop mode to turn that on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe I have too little faith, but um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Sean, just just out of curiosity, are you running Windows 8 or are you still on 7? You know, I tried Windows 8 and I had an issue with the Maris network, so I I reverted, but I I I own uh, a book on it and and I have read up a lot on it and I'd like to use it. Um, nice. you know, I'm currently loosely shopping for a new uh, a new laptop running, you know, Windows 8 with touch. Nice. Um, so you know, I am fascinated and interested, uh, but no, I'm no, I'm not running it. I installed it on my old gaming desktop for about two days, and I I couldn't I couldn't take it. Like, it is not built for a desktop. No. Yeah. And it's not really built for a laptop, especially if the laptop doesn't have a touch screen. Like, I could see if it did, and you would like page through your Metro apps, and then you open it up and say it's Office, which doesn't have a Metro version. How many years later, uh, you can break out your keyboard and use it that way? Yeah, Speaking no, of I, which? I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I could see it like without touch. I feel like I don't know. It's a huge bummer. And that's definitely where I think boot to desktop will come in handy. Yeah, yeah. when you're working with a desktop computer or something where it makes sense. Yeah. Um, Dan attempted a fantastic segue into our next story. Uh, which Sorry. is, um, no, that was quite all right. Uh, and this idea that um, Metro style, which Microsoft no longer uses that term due to a possible copyright infringement. Oh. Uh, yes. The, it's what a is long, it called? They, they call it a modern user interface. Ah. But we will call a it movie. Metro. Okay. 
Metro is, is a great name, by the way, and I give them credit for that, but apparently they can't use it. So we will say a Metro-style um, application for the Office suite of products were... Me Metro-esque. If Metro were to be a style of application UI, it would probably look like, look like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what he said. Uh, and with that being said, um, Dan, you're quite disgruntled at the fact that uh, the Office suite does not yet exist in Metro form, only merely in a traditional uh, desktop form. Yes, I, I think it sends a terrible message to Microsoft trying to convince people to write Metro apps, and you see this on Windows Phone. Uh, Microsoft, I don't know what the story is, I don't know if this is true, but there wasn't a Facebook app for a long time. There was only like built-in Metro-y Facebook that only could do some things. And then Facebook, I finally, I, I have a hard time, I don't know what the story is, but they released a Facebook app for Windows Phone that has absolutely no Metro-like features. It looks exactly like the Android and iOS. Uh, if Microsoft is trying to influence developers to make Metro-style UIs, and but it takes them how many years to make a an office that's metro style? They showed a PowerPoint at Build, but it was literally just showing PowerPoints. It had no other UI was shown. It was just like, here's a PowerPoint presentation that's from a metro UI PowerPoint. You'll just have to take our word on that because we're just showing you slides sort of thing. So clearly not finished. Uh, I'm surprised they showed it at all. It, I don't know. It's, it really grinds my gears. And the same thing can be said. So that's a relatively minor issue compared to the fact that there, if you're not on Windows, you're pretty out of luck. And that was okay in like 2006 when there was Windows and there was Mac. You could get okay. You could get Office for Mac. It's always kind of sucked, but it was there. And then like the 0.02 percent of people running Linux, and that you know that was computers. Now there's Windows. OS tends a lot bigger. Uh, Android is on phones. It's on tablets. It's on tablets that look a lot like laptops. And there's iOS which also people use the laptop on the iPad a lot of times. And on most of those, you can get no Office. You can get Office on OS X. It kind of sucks. Uh, you can get some read-only, like, light version of Office on, OS, uh, on iOS. And can you get Office on Android? I, I don't think not. so. No. And you can't get Office on a Windows 8 tablet. If you're sitting there with your tablet, just like Microsoft wants, detached from any base it came with, you know, chilling out in a nice park, like Central Park, lying down in the sun sh sunlight, because that's clearly the best scenario to use a tablet. Yes. And you're like, oh, man, I'm going to write my sweet report in my Word. So you click on the nice Word. I'm sorry you tap the nice big word live tile and it takes you out to the desktop and brings up this really tiny toolbar at the top with these little tiny words that you have to somehow press on and then you know that's your UI. I don't know. It's a terrible message and I think 
office used to be the gold standard of, you know, programs. It was like the, I don't even know, there's, everyone had an office, everyone needed office, and now you don't need it anymore because all of these alternatives have grown out of it, you know, its absence on the cloud with Google Docs and Microsoft's finally entering that space very late, very good, but really late, uh, and on mobile. Yeah. People aren't going to be buying, statistically, buying desktops in the next few years. Well, if I, I, I would like to counteract your haterade with a little sweet tea of my own, and from <laughs> Microsoft's defense, um, because, not that I think, I think they're wrong a lot of the time, but I want to say that two parts. The first being that you can't get Office everywhere. I be, it is well generally believed that they are trying, and while they are not there, um, that it's fully expected that there will be both Android and iOS full apps sometime early next year. Rumored, next but year. possible. And I want you to remember, too, that for $5, about $5 a month if you buy the yearly subscription, imagine the value you are getting when you get five uh, Windows or Mac installs, five mobile devices on any platform, plus 365 in the cloud, and in addition to that, you get a lot of gigabytes in SkyDrive and Skype credits for $5 a month. I think that's really where the value comes in. That's um, true, but people are already using Google Docs for $0 per month. But it's not the same. <laughs> I tried, same. I will be honest with you, I tried being a cold turkey convert to Google Docs, and I said, I'm, I'm going to exclusively use Google Docs. I, I, I didn't even install Word or have Office on my computer for a time, and I had to turn and install it. And, and the other point I wanted to make is that I believe the reason the Metro versions are so delayed is because Microsoft put a lot of work into Office 2013, which in my opinion is the best Office they've ever released. Okay, It is really solid software. They made all the right upgrades. It has all the important um, features that it needed. And I go back to Word 2008, Office 2008, and it is like... I can't use it. I have to use 2013 because it's such good software. So you know what? If it takes them a little while longer to get a Metro version, I'm fine with that because I would much rather they do it right and make a successful product that people really... I almost enjoy using Office. And when it comes to 08, Google Docs is great. But if I get 2013, it's like Google Docs what? You know, I'm I'm being completely honest that you know, especially with the price difference, because Office used to be what two three hundred dollars or something. You know, I, I just I don't know. I think they're just making a lot of correct decisions. And while it may seem on the front that how can we not you know Windows 8 has been out a year, how can we possibly not have a Metro version? Well, you know, get over it. <laughs> like yeah. So I I have a couple things like. So one, I I think like Office is like professional software, but right despite the fact that everyone uses it, ever like everyone ever uses it or has used it, it like it's still professional software. It does like a lot more than than your average person is ever going to do with it. Um, and I think, I think for that, for that reason, 
well, to to convert it like one to one to a metro app would be really hard. Not to say that it'd be impossible. I think like I think Pages for iOS is is decent. It works pretty well. You can do a bunch of stuff with it. Um, but so I'm okay with it, and I think it's okay. And I think you know they still have like the obviously there's still like the desktop thing going on in Windows 8. So you know, fine, whatever. Um, obviously, it's not ideal for using it on your tablet. That's certainly true. But then again, like, I don't know if, if Office itself is ideal for using a, on a tablet simply because it's so intense. Like, does it make sense? Um, but that, that, like, segues into my other thing, which is that, like, I think I think Office software, and not, not even Office software, word processing software is BS, and... Huh. Most people, like, if someone needs to save people from themselves and stop letting them, like, like change all the things. Like, we're, we're well beyond the point, like, uh, I, wish, I wish I had thought of this before. But, like, we're, we're, you know, when you're writing a, you get a paper assignment in college and it still says, like, you know, put twelve. It, this must be in twelve point font in Times New Roman. Like, I shouldn't even have to worry about that if I'm writing a paper. It sh- I should just do it, and I write my paper, and I send it to my professor, and it'll look like whatever she wants it to look like in her thing. Regard, like, I shouldn't be worrying about formatting it. Like, I feel like that's ninety percent of the time you spend writing your paper is like making sure it looks the way it's supposed to be. Ninety percent is an exaggeration. Yes, but you know what I mean. Like, that's broken. Yeah. Like, no, you don't. Well, we've solved that. It's called HTML and CSS. Yeah, no crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. It's that that like decoupling of. But I, I mean, even just using like basic, like, the most basic HTML headers and things. Like, obviously, most people aren't going to learn that because it's, it's yeah. weird. But, I mean, that that principle, the principle of doing that, like, you can do that in Microsoft Word. Like, there are the, like, that, like, entity style things. So you have your, your all the levels of headings and then paragraph styles and quotes and things like that, which is great. But, like, I think there's too much focus on, like format and not enough focus on writing like like word is a a almost a layout program more than a writing program it's not for writing it's for laying out documents and that's that's a problem because that's what everyone uses it for they use it for writing and it just gets in the way of that and that's that's my my rant on Microsoft Sean, I've got some but, numbers to throw at you okay hit me so it looks to me, based on the Wikipedia article on usage share of operating systems, that in terms of web-facing operating systems, Microsoft only has its hands on one out of every four these days. So one out of every four people, are, no, sorry, one out of every four people on the internet are not using a Microsoft operating system. Okay. Well, that, then that they, means, hit, they hit three quarters. Right. But... The uh, that one fourth is growing a heck of a lot faster than the Windows 8 
and you know all the other windowses are going down. So, I my my big beef is, and I said this before we started, was like, I also really liked Office a few years ago when I used it. It was great in 2008. I thought I remember thinking that was amazing in 2010. Actually, I remember thinking 2010 was amazing. But I don't use Windows anymore, and that's fine. But if Microsoft had taken like the the Amazon Kindle approach, where it's like, you know, we have a Kindle, we have a you know physical Kindle, but we don't care. We're gonna put Kindle everywhere. We're gonna put it on all the platforms and all the form factors, and we're just gonna spam you with it, and you're gonna get sucked into our ecosystem and use it. If Microsoft had done that, it doesn't have to be as good as I think they should have said, like you said, Colby, Office Pro on the desktop. It's not a Metro app. It's Office Pro. It's like Photoshop. It does way more than anyone really needs to do in a day. But then you've got regular Office, which is a Metro app, and you've got some basic layout and some spell check. It integrates all the other Microsoft services, and it looks great, and it comes free on every Windows 8 PC. That would have been like, oh, my God. Like, I would, you know, some people would buy a Windows 8 PC because of that, like, I need Office, I'll just get this. If they put it on iOS and Android, it syncs with your SkyDrive. They have SkyDrive apps on those. It would be great. And the whole cloud thing is all about these ecosystems, and that's why you know, I think Google's the only one who's doing a good job. Because on a, Apple, it's really kludgy, and it feels broken. Even though... No one knows that you can go on iWeb or iWork or whatever it is for the cloud and edit your documents in the cloud. But if well, you know, no one knows that. You can't that. really do that yet. Oh, really? It's you, that's that's just announced. It like there's a beta. Like I can do it because I have a developer account, but most people can't. Yeah. So this this dream of the the cloud halo effect is killed if you take six years. To get your your you know your flagship consumer product in so many ways on mobile, which is this giant field that covers so many devices, anyways. It it is interesting because like Microsoft like historically makes tons of money off Office, right? Yeah, like that's like I big so. F and deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The it's yeah. I mean, I guess I'm sure they're still making money off it, which is the well. It's a different form of money. Microsoft in most of their businesses is trying to switch to a subscription model because the yeah. problem is, you know, you would buy Office and then use the same Office for four years, and then they would just get that one check instead of getting money from you every month. Um, it's a, more of an accounting thing. Yeah. But what I, I oh, go, go for it. Oh, well, I was just gonna say I'm <laughs> I'm I'm all for subscription stuff because that's great. Like. We should all be using the newest possible software all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that. I'm. I will end by saying I hope Microsoft gets their act together because I want to use Office on everything. Um, yeah. So here's looking at you, Microsoft. But that's the perfect segue. Talking about rapid release schedules, going into our last Windows 8 story, uh, which would be the fact that Microsoft is pushing this rapid release schedule with this update, originally codenamed Blue, now known as the Point One update. Um, has been pushed across so many products in the Microsoft from Windows 8 and Windows 8 RT to Windows Phone 8.1 to Visual Studios getting an upgrade and servers getting an upgrade and Azure is getting an upgrade and uh, just a gazillion services all across the board are getting this Office 
uh, are all getting a upgrade one year after most of these products were released, uh, as notably Windows 8 and Windows Phone 8. Um, whereas between Vista and Windows 7, uh, or I'm sorry, between 7 and Windows 8, it took four years. So the question here is, um, is this the right direction for Microsoft to be going? Are we glad they're, they're moving up to this rapid release schedule? And what does it mean for consumers? Hmm. So I think uh, I was just trying to look something up and I can't find it. But Microsoft's I think makes most of their money off of like enterprise and stuff. Actually, that it doesn't matter. It's interesting. Enterprise is in a lot of ways more suited to this than consumers are. I think because enterprise has been digital for a long time. Like. You show up at work on your first day, and they don't just like, you know, here's your office disk and a CD key. Have a nice day. It's <laughs> installed, and it's downloaded from their servers, and everything's centrally managed, and you can just, like, buy your site license for Office 2013, and instantly everyone gets it when they run Windows Update the next morning. So I think that majority part of Microsoft is really well suited to, like, we're going to... We're going to... Uh, you know, release new version of Windows every year. Whether the enterprises will actually upgrade, though, I don't think they ever will. <laughs> It'll take well, they a while. Could. They, they could. could do it. It'll take a while. I think yeah. it's getting there, though, because you see this trend where consumer uh, technologies kind of infiltrate the enterprise. We saw this with the iPhone. Like, no company, they all have Blackberries, and almost overnight, like overnight in enterprise terms, I would say two years maybe after the iPhone was released, you know, all, you could bring your iPhone into work and they'd set it up because, you know, when the CEO gets his iPhone, he finds out he can't get his mail on it, he's pretty pissed off. So I think the expectation, Microsoft's the biggest software company in the world probably. If they're going to start releasing these, you know, Chrome and Firefox style rapid updates, may, you know, put not not just once every five years, like may, you know, here's hundreds of new major features, but maybe a couple major features every year. Uh, it's a lot better for consumers. I think we see that on our phones. We see that with the yearly updates of OS 10. You no longer have like giant incompatibility issues. Like, oh, I upgraded to Leopard, and now none of my drivers work. Not that much of a problem when it slowly changes over time sort of thing. So I think it's definitely good. I'm happy to see them do it. I just hope they would employ that for their uh, office <laughs> development schedule. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's... So I think if they can do it right, like do a rapid release thing, I think it's good, like... Um, I I feel like Apple is kind of one of the success stories in that. And Chrome. With, with Chrome, iOS. You don't even know that you update. Yeah, which is awesome. It's I just always that. up to date, yeah. And then, and then iOS 7, like, it just updates apps by itself. It doesn't ask. It just does it. Like, that's great. And if they can get it to a point where it does that, like, that's awesome because that's one of the worst parts about Windows. It's all yes. the updates all the time. And the restarting. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I mean that's rough. And if they like, if they can change that, like, 
just, you know, that's, like, it goes back to what I was saying about, like, we should all be on the newest software all the time. Like, that, that'd be awesome. Like, it, you know, it's, for most people, it shouldn't, like, you know, they, they, if you can ease them into new things without really asking, like, I know maybe that's, that's a little, a little controversial, I guess it probably is a little That's controversial. That's a very web developer <laughs> approach. Yeah, I know. Remember, <laughs> we'll talk about Firefox OS. We will. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think it's it's cool if they can pull pull it off, and I think it's good because, you know, it, and it, I think it'll give them a chance to like really iterate on things a little bit more than they they typically have in the past. I. I would say that I think it's most important for two groups. Microsoft's PR and marketing, who doesn't have to put up with years of people complaining about how bad something like Vista is, um, where they can just turn around and fix it. So all those people who said all the things they didn't... Why, why is there no... Where'd my start button go? Why can't I boot to the desktop? And then they fixed it. Um, and I think the other group it's most important for is, you know, we here are power users, but you have to remember an extremely large group of the Microsoft base... Um, are casual users who aren't, you know, computer experts. And this is actually a true story. Um, I had met some people, some mutual friends of the family for the first time. And um, and they asked me, because someone told them I was into computers, you know how people say that. And, and they said to me, you know, oh, my computer's been really slow lately. You know, what can I do to fix it? Which is that generic question everyone asks, and you're like, how am I supposed to answer that? So, of course, my first question was, well, what operating system are you running? And they turned to me 100% serious and said, I'm running Windows XP. And, <laughs> and, I, and I turned to them and I said, you need to buy a new computer. That's it. That's, I, I didn't hesitate. I was like, you need to buy a new computer. I don't okay. care what shape it's in. You need to buy a new computer. And it's exactly people like that who benefit from these easy-to-install, easy-to-understand, constant yeah. upgrades. Um, and that's why I think it's it's the direction to go because it's that's the toughest group of Microsoft consumers. Let's be honest, and I I think uh, anything we can do to make their lives and then the people who <laughs> helps them lives a little easier um, is that much better. So almost according to that same uh, usage share of operating systems thing, all a little like five to ten percent, so less than half of all the people using Windows are using Windows XP. So almost half. Yeah, I think it was just last wow. week or this week that Windows of user you window users of Windows eight finally surpassed users of Windows XP. Wow. That just happened like this week, so Yeah. It's scary. Um well and with scary. that, uh unless there are any final thoughts, we'll move on from Windows eight. Um to talk about our stories of the week. Uh this is the part of the show where each of us pick a story that we found particularly interesting. Doesn't have to be about any particular subject or topic. Um, and I will jump in with some sad and somber news. Um, Google Reader was finally laid to rest yesterday um, on the internet forever. Google, uh, as they blogged about several months ago, decided that they were going to shut down Google Reader permanently. Um, I was a big Google Reader user. I loved it. I checked it all throughout the day, every day. It was how I kept up with things. Um, and I was heartbroken to learn that they closed it down. Um, a lot of companies have popped up in its absence trying to fill the void it left. Companies like, uh, most notably, Feedly, uh, which has um, 
almost become a bit of a front runner with uh, you know a web solution, mobile apps. Um, there's also a Dig announced that they had a reader, their Dig reader, but that's sort of in a in a rolling out beta. And then uh, AOL also launched a reader in addition to numerous other services. Um, I've been using Feedly personally, and um, it's been good so far. It's you know it's tough when you've been using Google Reader for so long to use something else, but so far the service has been good and. Uh, I know they've been good about listening to user feedback, but I don't know what I would do without my RSS feeds in my reader, but maybe I'm just old-fashioned. Were you guys Google Reader users, or had you already moved on to some the future? I used to be a Google Reader user, but I've pretty much replaced it with Twitter, which is inferior, but serves other purposes too. So I, I tried the Dig Reader, and it's, it's really good, except it doesn't give you an unread count, which... Uh, really messes with my uh, inbox zero fetish, I guess. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> I, I actually never used Google Reader or an RSS reader at all. I don't know, like, I think I just missed the boat on that. Like, I wasn't into the internet when RSS was like, not that RSS isn't useful and cool, but, like, when it was, you know, the thing, I was never into it. And then, like, I don't know. I get all my news from some combination of Twitter and Hacker News. So, I think I just have too much free time at work. <laughs> Maybe. I think, that, I think that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, the, the real problem with RSS readers for me is that there, is, there are so few uh, feeds that I want to read everything from. And so I end up subscribing to things that I don't want to read everything from, and then I don't, and then I just start ignoring everything. And yeah. So Twitter acts as a very imperfect, but uh, at least some sort of signal as to what I should be reading. Yeah. Well, we will send Google Reader to the great yonder. Uh, rest in peace, along with the many other retired Google services um, that have Wave. Been Wave. <laughs> yeah, they're a surprisingly large amount. Uh, yes. Going back, back into the day. Um, all right. Well, why don't we move on to uh, Dan? Your story. Um, a, a local story for you. Oh, well, yeah, this just happened today. I thought it was pretty interesting. New York City got the .nyc top-level domain. Uh, ostensibly for anyone who has an address in New York City can pay some undisclosed fee, which they implied wouldn't be, you know, that outrageous. Uh and get one. But I think the really cool thing is the my.nyc.com website, which is just uh, ridiculously almost unbelievably well done for a municipal website. I, just, I, I think it's just it's interesting. I, I'm living in New York City. It's interesting how much lip service, not just lip service, but like how much they're focusing on tech, like, the mayor has been to our offices several times, and he calls up our CEO all the time, and he mentions him in, like, on Twitter, and just all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and there are, like, you know, travel tips, and, oh, you know, here's, like, one of the, the things they highlight on here is, I don't know what they call it, but basically, like, something.nyc is, like, things to do this weekend which is one of the perennial questions in any place you're living. And Google is so unhelpful. 
for that just brings up all these shitty like about.com things that have terrible ideas. The uh, worst idea. Yeah. And I think, and so Tim O'Reilly talks about this with government 2.0, which is kind of a bullshit term, but I, I think if you as a municipality can bring, you know, using the internet, it's really easy to kind of get democracy flowing, not in like the let's elect people and make policy decisions, but in like the let's make this a pleasant place to live idea. So I think it's cool. Uh, something of a PR stunt because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know. Are you going to buy Dan.NYC? Yeah, if I can. I'm not going to like camp out at midnight to try to get it, though. Wouldn't that be but, funny if they made you like go and like physically hand in a piece of paper to buy it? <laughs> See, that would be highly ironic. I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> uh, that would be a very government thing to do. I had to fill out paperwork the other day. It was terrifying. You What kind of paperwork? Like, benefits paperwork. You should have just told them, I don't want benefits. In their defense, I only had to do that because I'd already been there for a year, so I had to file a change of circumstance. (laughs) Interesting. So, but yeah, that's my story. Cool, cool. Well, I saved, uh, I think my most, the one I was interested in when I looked at our document for the show, this one jumped out at me. Uh, Oh my god, it's time. This is Colby's story. Colby... (laughs) Please explain to me why I should care about your story this week. Because I want to. I know I really do. Go for it. All right. There's a lot of pressure on right now. Um, So for, for, eh, I don't know, for anyone who doesn't know, for the last, like, maybe year plus, um, Mozilla, the company that makes Firefox and Thunderbird. I thought they discontinued Thunderbird. Did they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I take that back. But they used to make <laughs> Thunderbird. Um, so they, they're they're a nonprofit, and they they maintain a bunch of not like free open source software and things. Um, but for the last year, they've been working on a mobile phone operating system that runs entirely on web technologies. So it's HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. Like, the whole thing down to, like, obviously at its core, it's, like, the same kind of web runtime as Firefox. Um, and they're, from what I understand, their target market is um, emerging markets. So they're going for, like, a really solid software that runs on low-end hardware that can be sold for at very affordable prices in new countries. Um, which is cool, and I, I've I've had a thing for it um, for a long time since since I heard about it really, and I I have no real justification for why. And I think like as 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 a web a web developer, like uh, my my attempts to break into the the mobile app development world have always been frustrated by. What a pain in the ass it is compared to writing JavaScript. Like, <laughs> I just love it. So really, like, I want to be able to write legit apps for my phone with JavaScript. So that's a point number one. Point number two is just from a general development perspective. There's a lot of like 
there's a lot of ways I think personally I think where in which um, developing for for the web is way better than developing for a native platform like like I mean just the, the being able to a b test stuff and you know do all kinds of crazy experiments on the fly and like if something's doing really badly you just take it down without going through an astro review process and stuff like that's the dream like that's really the dream that's that's like data driven development it's i mean you really i know there there are some services in the last last couple months that i've been seeing for like things like that so you can run tests in your app but you know um, to, to, I'm sure those are great to a certain extent, but it's still not there. So, but you can't have two different versions of your binary in the app store at the same time, right? Right. So I would assume the way it works is you package both of them and like, you know, at runtime it, it determines whether someone should be in one bucket or another. I don't know how it actually works. Um, but a bunch of if statements. <laughs> yes. A giant, giant switch statement. <laughs> <laughs> so Colby, my question for you is if you're so excited about Firefox OS, why aren't you talking those from a Chromebook right now? Then all of your apps would be in JavaScript. That's true. Um I actually don't have a good reason for that. Most pro- <laughs> mostly because like I got a MacBook Air before they released the Chromebook Pixel. That's my reason. Would if you have really it, bought a Chromebook P- Pixel? I would have seriously considered it. I mean, like, worst-case scenario, I decide I hate Chrome OS and install Linux. So so today, go or no go on the Chromebook Pixel? I'd give it a shot. All right. Yeah. Me too. It's, ex- it's expensive. It's it so expensive. expensive. That's Honestly, if I just had the spare cash, I would pick up one of the cheap Chromebooks. The, the, you know, the, the $200, yeah. $300 ones, because even those look nice. The only thing they don't have is yeah. uh, the so, touch. Is the so, Dan, Dan, it didn't... You you have a fun fun story about a Chromebook from I from do. school. I do. Well, it I, didn't your your housemates last year that they thought they were gonna hate it and then. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So, uh, one of my housemates moved. Well, he was you know studying uh, abroad here from England, and he bought he he lived on the edge. He bought a Windows eight uh, touch desktop. Uh, and he couldn't get on the network for months, for most of his time at school. So he bought a Chromebook, which also, you know, kind of iffy to get on the network at the time. Uh, but he, he got on, and he liked it, and he broke it, and then he just bought another one. Uh, he cracked the screen, and then when he was leaving, he gave me the one with the cracked crack screen, and I bought a $40 replacement screen on Amazon, popped off the old one, put a new one in. And one of my other housemates was really excited to try it, and his laptop really sucked. So I was like, here, you should just have this because, you know, I have a MacBook Air. <laughs> I don't really need a Chromebook. And so, you know, he really liked it. He lives in Chrome, so, you know, 90% of what he did was fine. But the interesting thing is one of my other housemates who really poo-pooed the idea, who just thought that you can only run Chrome. What about all those great desktop apps that I'll miss, like Adobe After Effects and Audacity and... I don't know, a bunch of crap I've never heard of. And he used that thing those last few weeks more than anyone else. He would come home and you just grab it and you just 
sit on it and just Google shit and be like, oh man, check this out. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, oh, yeah, what do you think of the, the Chromebook? And he's like, ah, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And he would take it into his room and he would keep it overnight. And I don't know what he did with it. But <laughs> <laughs> he, would, he would take it. I think he took it to class. He's like, oh, it'll last because it lasts like a MacBook Air does for $200. Uh, so I think much like a you know, an iPad or a, a well-done Windows 8 tablet, which doesn't exist yet. Uh, that's all you need. Yeah. I, I think, so, oh, my my other my other reason I don't have a Chromebook is that um, I think I'm more of a, to a certain extent, I'm more of a power user of a, a desktop computer, like, than most people. Like, my computer, like, it's it's pretty much my life in all aspects, which is sad, but, uh, <laughs> but my phone, I'm, like, the same kind of user as everybody else. Like, I just, you know, I go on Facebook, and I check in on Foursquare, and I take pictures, and that's, that's about it. Um, so, you know, I, I think, for me, it's, it's m- much more re- realistic to, to think that I might one day use this web thing, this direct like portal into the internet as my phone instead of um, the the glorious Apple walled garden that I'm in now, which is it's nice, but it's, I don't it's know. Glorious, yeah. <laughs> kind of I I was just like really I just love to use like one. Soviet Russia, <laughs> and I'm sitting here in my little Windows 8 prison. <laughs> you we don't have see, metro there's, apps. There's a tiny live tile of like the outside world, and you can see everyone having fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, then, and then I touch it, and it turns blue and just crashes. Uh, <laughs> now, okay, so uh, we're optimistic about Firefox OS. Yeah. Oh, but the the actual news story is that the their hardware pa- partners announced um, launches today or any, yesterday. Are there any in the U.S.? No, no, they're start they're starting abroad. Like I said, it's it's emerging markets, um, which I think makes a lot of sense, um, particularly with I know you know like India and China, those are big, big markets. Like that's you know com- the, the big US. companies like what bigger than the U.S. Yeah, huge, huge. So you know for companies like like Google and Facebook and. Twitter and like all those, it's a big deal. And getting them like internet capable devices is a huge deal for for reasonable prices. Because you know the iPhone, it, it you know it's it's six hundred dollars for an unlocked phone. So um, you know I think it's cool, and I think it's it's something worth following if they can pull it off. I haven't. I've never I've used the OS in the simula- simulator, but I haven't used it on a phone. Um, so I'm hoping, like, once I get out to the West Coast in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll like run into someone who has one, <laughs> and I can be can finally like use it and if that see. That would happen anywhere. It would happen there. Yeah, that's what I figure. So, and they all, they can all get on the internet in India and China with Google's internet balloons. Exactly. <laughs> oh my it, god! It all comes together. Yep. <laughs> All yeah, right. I say we'll be spying on them too. All right. Well, uh, a couple, a lot of great stories, but why don't we move on to our picks of the week? Um, 
who wants to go first? I don't. I don't want to pick. I'll somebody. go first. Okay, go for. I'm really excited. I actually may try your pick and report back next week on how it goes. So I'm excited. So go cool. for it. Cool. So um, my screen share right now. There we go. All right. Can you guys see that? Absolutely. Sure, it works for you. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> sorry, dude. Um, so for for the last like week, actually for a while, I've been I've been uh, messing around with ways to get in shape as efficiently as possible that don't hit the gym because it's an exercise factory, and I am I am too special for an exercise factory. <laughs> so I've done a bunch of stuff, like I have a Fitbit and all that good stuff, but I, I, I stumbled across this seven-minute workout app, um, and basically what it, all it is is it's a timer with a voice that reads out exercises, and you do the exercise for 30 seconds, and then you rest for 10 seconds. And there are 12 exercises, and um, they're all like... They're all approachable. Nothing. There's nothing that like you just won't be able to do. Um, and I'm not. I'm certainly not a a fitness freak or or an athletic person. Um, I sit at a computer for the vast majority of the day. Uh, but I've been doing this for a week, and like I've noticed, like I can do more push-ups than I could a week ago, and like. You know, I, it feels good. I do it right before I jump in the shower. It's it's exactly seven minutes, so it's not a huge commitment, and it's great, and it's free, so you should totally check it out. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the uh, seven-minute workout available for iOS? Correct. I have no idea if it's on anything else. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Dan, let's, uh, let's talk about your pick, another okay. app. Yeah, uh, let me try to screen share. Oh my god, I brought up the dialogue this time. Yay! Look at that. Alright, so, I used to work with someone who now released this. And basically what you do is, uh, it's like a streamlined Craigslist. So you can take pictures of things write a little description, and either make it free or set a price, and then it just, like, shaloops it up onto this thing, and anyone you're connected with or in your local area can scroll through and see it. Uh, It's really low friction, so, like, I got (laughs) a really awesome James Brown bobblehead for my dad because someone didn't want it and it was like someone please take this off my hand so I pressed the little grab button and then it was mine it was really cool you can have these little conversations about it ask questions uh, I haven't bought anything but it's really interesting to scroll through and see the things that people are selling and it's way better than Craigslist and it's also better than that other thing that's been going around box where you put it in a box and they sell it except only like Laptops, iPads, and DSLRs is the only thing they sell. This you can sell anything. Uh, or just give stuff away. Because honestly, half the time, it's not worth the effort to try to price it and sell it. It's just like, you know, something you want to get rid of. So that is my pick. Also, only for iPhone. I've picked iPhone apps for like the past three. 
for OS XFs. I'll come up with something better, more all-inclusive next time, I promise. It, it's okay. It seems like a really cool app, and, uh, you know, anything that can take the sketch out of Craigslist is, uh, is good in my book. Right, so, so you, have to know, you have to know the people who are looking at your stuff, so you build up this network of people in your area. So, and you may even get a bobblehead. A James Brown bobblehead. You don't see those everywhere. All right. Cool. All right. Well, uh, as I did with my pick, I, I think this is going to end up being a regular thing each week with my pick, but imagine a world where you sit down in your comfy recliner at the end of the day and you say, I want to watch a movie and or television show. I want to watch uh, the... Reese Witherspoon romantic comedy Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> don't know why you'd want to watch that. It's a terrible movie. Don't watch it. <laughs> you don't want But let's say you wanted to watch it, okay? And you sit down with your remote in your hand. We live in the future. Oh, my God. Where am I going to watch it? I have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and uh, On Demand and iTunes and Vudu and, <laughs> you know, and the list goes on. Um... God, I wish, if only, there was some one convenient way to look through all these services to find out exactly where the content I want is available for streaming, renting, buying, downloading, going to a physical store and renting a DVD. Um, gosh, if only such a thing exists. Well, that is my pick this week, and I'm here to help. The website is canistream.it. Can I stream it? Um and this is really amazing because a couple years ago, I was looking for a site to do exactly this, and there was a website called Clicker.com, and it was excellent, and they did this perfectly. And then the evil corporation Viacom bought them, folded it into TV.com, and shut down the one great feature, <laughs> which just goes to show the man is against it. So uh -huh. that's why you should use my pick, Can I Stream It? So it searches for both uh, movies and television shows across services like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Crackle, YouTube, Epix, Redbox, Instant. So, uh, Colby, what's something you want to watch? Don't uh, say Game of Thrones. No, no I, I wasn't. That... <laughs> <laughs> um, the I want to watch the James Bond movie Goldfinger. That's a good choice. So I'll type in Goldfinger, and we'll hit Search Movies. And you are looking at my screen, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So it came up Goldfinger 1964, and now it's running it through all these services. So you can see it's not available to stream, but I can rent it from uh, Google Play, from iTunes, from Vudu, from YouTube, and I can purchase it from Amazon and iTunes and Play and on the Xbox 360 store. I can also get the DVD for purchase through Amazon or a Netflix DVD subscription. Wait, you can, you can rent movies on YouTube? Yeah, yes. they don't really advertise it, but you can, yeah. What? When yeah. did that happen? That's a cool, while. Good for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're watching your, you know, your favorite clip from, you know, your favorite Mel Brooks movie, and there's a little link right there. Watch this now, two ninety nine. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. It's an anti-piracy thing. Um, and the other great feature of this website is if you sign up for an account, you can actually set notifications. So if a new movie just came out in theaters, like Monsters University, for example, I can tell it to say I want to know if it's available for streaming on Netflix or if I can rent it through Amazon, which are the two services I mostly use. And they will ping me whenever anything I click to be notified um, 
will let me know. So uh, my pick, canistream.it, is on their website. They also have an iOS, uh, Windows phone, Android app, a Chrome app. Um, they're all over the place, and it's just a really convenient service for finding uh, where movies and television shows live in this connected world. It's about time someone made a database. So uh, that's my pick. Woo! There you go. Cool. All right, well, any final thoughts before we wrap up the show? Anything anyone want to want to plug? I won't force anybody, but I will make the <laughs> offer. Uh, I don't really have anything to plug. I've just been sitting on the couch. You're going to plug weeks. the couch? Yeah, the couch is awesome. <laughs> I, love it. I love it there. Next week, maybe, Sean. All right, yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, I'll come I'm, up with something to plug soon. I'm going to tease next week's show because oh we're going to do a blowout How extravaganza <laughs> on wearable technology. That's right. All the questions you needed answered about Google Glass, Fitbit, smartwatches, brain implants, mind control, <laughs> you name it. Head we're gonna transplants. Cover it. Head transplants. I actually I did read that today, and that was a really interesting <laughs> article. I'm I'm so excited. That's next week's gonna be an awesome episode. No, we're gonna cover a ton of stuff. Um, so you're definitely gonna want to tune in. We tape the show live every Tuesday at 11 p.m. on YouTube, um, and the shows are posted after the fact on our website. Colby, what is our website? It is don'tpanicpodcast.github.io, which. We should probably get a better URL. We're going to work on that. It's on the list. And you can also watch the videos at youtube.com slash don'tpanicshow. So uh, the videos are available there as well. Um, And with that, on behalf of Colby, Dan, and myself, we thank you for watching, and we remind you, don't panic. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Good night.